Father, we give thanks to you. There have been a lot of prayers prayed and a lot of interviews have happened trying to find a family to get in step with uh, to plant a church. And we want as a church to be a blessing to Brad and to Aaron and to their children, to their family. We want also to continue to be a blessing to Rova uh, as he ministers and plants churches uh, in the, on the other side of the planet, Lord, there in Myanmar. We just thank you for the blessing of having partners in ministry like this. Pray for fruitfulness to come through their efforts, through their energy, and uh, pray that you would continue, God, to give us our daily bread so that we can uh, be in cahoots with and support people like this and, and uh, be a part of extending your kingdom. Uh, now, Father, we'd ask you to teach us as we launch into a series and as we turn our thoughts to your word, we would ask you, God, to speak to us, change us, help us to reflect together, uh, and we just thank you for this time of worship this morning, and we thank you because we can come boldly to the throne of grace, and we do that because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to start this morning with a question, a pretty simple question. What do you think God does all day? What do you think he does all day? If you've ever been on a vacation, an extended vacation, and you have a, a large block of time, uh, that's usually the question that we ask ourselves, isn't it? What will I do today? I've got all this time that I don't normally have. Studies actually show that people get frustrated oftentimes in retirement, uh, and that's uh, simply because they get bored. They don't know what to necessarily do with themselves. Um, God has all of eternity, right? I mean, God has always been around. What do you think he does with his time? Does he just sit around and watch stuff? He could. There's a lot going on. Does he have uh, hobbies? Do the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they play games together? What do they do? Uh, what do they do with all that time? Well, the answer, uh, you probably already guessed where I'm going with this because you've got the bulletin and you, you, know, you, you see the, the graphic and so. But the answer is what God mostly does is he works. You go to the beginning of scriptures, Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. That's work. He created the heavens and the earth. And the opening lines of the Bible are filled with all kinds of verbs describing what God does in this creative process. He separates light from darkness. He makes the sky and solid ground. He gathers the water together into the seas. He creates plants and living creatures. He forms human beings. Psalm 8.3 says that everything that you and I see in creation, all of it is the work of God's fingers. All of it are the work of God's fingers. God worked at the very beginning. And then after the sixth day, <clears throat> we're told in scripture that he rested. He didn't retire, but he rested. He actually puts a rhythm and a pattern in place, which we're going to talk about in weeks to come, not this week. Uh, a healthy rhythm about rest, and it's out of rest that we actually work. But God did not retire. He just rested. Uh, in fact, Psalm 104 tells us that the universe does not run itself. It doesn't. The universe is actually run by God. In fact, Psalm 104 says this, and you can read along. Uh, it says, you make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast in the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and the plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. 
The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them, the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The point is simply this. God is running the universe. Every single day, every single minute of every single day, God is running the universe. The Bible makes it clear, too, that he is particularly busy with people, people like you and me. Uh, in fact, Psalm 121 describes God saying this, he who watches over Israel, his people, will neither slumber nor sleep. In other words, he's always guarding. He's always guiding. He's always protecting He's always watching. He's always stretching us and challenging us, sometimes even disciplining us, disciplining his people. He's always done this. He's always done this. And then, of course, uh, comes on to the scene Jesus. And that's very interesting. Jesus, more than ever before, shows us exactly what God is like, exactly who God is. Interestingly enough, Jesus worked. He worked. He spent most of his adult life doing the work of a builder or a carpenter. That word, which we trans often translate carpenter, really is, has more of the sense of builder. Uh, he was certainly a carpenter working with wood, but he also certainly also worked with stone. That's an amazing thing to think about. I mean, in our day, people will spend a whole bunch of money to buy furniture that's old. They're called antiques, right? Can you imagine owning a chair made by Jesus if you had lived around that time? Uh, I mean, here's the creator of heaven and earth, and I'm sure he had a real, he was really, really good at making stuff. Can you imagine the quality of his work? The standard of his work as a builder and a carpenter would have been incredible. He lived day after day after day after day making things, and you know, that was something he actually did before he even came to this earth. Being a carpenter, being a builder was right in this calling that Jesus had. It was who he was. He no doubt built walls, built buildings, built benches, built tables, built chairs, built beds. Jesus himself, most of his life was a builder, a carpenter. And then later, of course, he became a rabbi for a few years of his life, just a few. And this is from the gospel of John, uh, John chapter five. Jesus says, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I, too, am working. It's just who our God is. In fact, God is described in Scripture by a series of metaphors that all involve this thing of work. He's described as a gardener. He's described as a vine dresser. He's described as a potter that works with the clay of your life and mine. He's described as a shepherd taking care of his flock, guiding his flock, feeding his flock. Uh, protecting his flock. He's described as a king ruling over everything. He's described as a homemaker who's searching for a lost coin. He's described as a builder. The God of the Bible, understand, is preeminently a worker. He's a worker. Are you surprised? Shouldn't be. God is highly, highly interested in work. <clears throat> he understands the joys and the fulfillment of work, and he's deeply committed to it. He's if you can say this, up to his eyeballs in it, right? Now, here's why this is very important for you and me. At the climax of God's work in the creation story, the Bible says that the Lord God formed a man from the dust in the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So God makes uh, Adam, God makes Eve. And this means that you, as well as Adam, as well as Eve, you are a piece of God's Work, And if you look at the person next to you right now, that person is a piece of work, <laughs> a piece of God's work. 
And you've probably been saying that for years. You are some piece of work. But that is literally true when we're talking in this context. They are, you are literally a piece of God's work. And because you were made in his image, uh, because you are a work of God, you were also created to do work. People get confused about this sometimes. Uh, Often people think that work is the result of sin or that work is the result of the fall. Uh, That before the fall, nobody had any work to do. You didn't have to work. And uh, there are even some religions that take that position. Uh, The Muslim faith, for example, uh, believes that heaven is going to be a place where you don't do any work. It's just paradise. It's just feasting. It's just reveling. Uh, Ancient Greeks believed that the gods, of course, in heaven did no work. They didn't have to. Uh, Nobody will do any work, they thought, when you died, if you were on the good side of the gods. But the Bible has a really, really different picture of that. According to the Bible, God is a worker, and so are the human beings that he created. We're actually made to work. The Bible says the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, this was before sin. This was before the fall of mankind. God created human beings in his image to work, uh, to create value, to produce things, to be creative. Work was an essential part of being like God. Now, when the fall came along, when sin entered the world, it deeply affected work, to be sure. Work actually fell under a curse. Uh, After the fall, God said there would be thorns, there would be thistles in the ground when you tried to work it. Uh, In other words, there would now be frustration. There would be futility in our work. Do you have any of that? A little bit, yep. Up until then, though, work had been sheer joy. Work had been 100% fruitful, 100% productive, 100% satisfying. Hard to imagine. But after the fall, work was broken. Now there was drudgery. Now there was pain. Now there was frustration and waste and failure and difficulty all associated with our work. God says to Adam, he says, you will eat your bread now, now after the fall, by the sweat of your brow. He's suggesting this is going to get harder. This is going to be difficult. And so now sometimes, you know, we work hard, really hard to what seems like no avail. Nothing comes of it. Or work isn't always fruitful when we put our you know, hand to the plow, so to speak. We don't necessarily reap the harvest we would like. Or sometimes uh, we idolize work. We make it the very thing for which we live, or we do too much of it, or we try to get our identity from it. Oh, look at me. Look what I produce. Look what I do. I'm really important. I'm somebody. All of that just to say this. Work is a mess <laughs> ever since the fall. It's a mess like everything else. Uh, But God's intent is for work to be redeemed back from the curse because work itself is very good. And God created us to do things and to be fruitful and to be creative like him. Now, the Bible has a certain language around all of this. Uh, It's the language of calling. And that's what I want to talk about for the next few minutes. A calling refers to the fact that God made you with, with certain capacities, God made you with certain skills, certain abilities, certain even passions, things that you're just passionate about while others may be much less passionate about what you're passionate about. And you can use these capacities, understand, to do many different kinds of jobs. In other words, calling doesn't equal job. You need to understand that. A job is just a vehicle for you to exercise your calling. The world needs you to exercise your calling. One author 
Frederick uh, Beekner says this, calling is the intersection between your heart's deep gladness and the world's deep hunger. It's almost a poetic way of thinking about this. Very beautifully stated, though. Calling is where your passions and your abilities and your skills meet the tremendous needs of the world. To miss out on exercising your calling, to not discover your unique abilities and gifts and skills and personality and so, and to use them to serve God and serve people, is to miss out on a large part of the reason you were put here on this planet. And that's why what we're talking about this week and the next few weeks to follow is really important stuff for us to reflect on and to grapple with. One survey I read this week says that over 50% of Americans, 50% of Americans in the workplace say that their job is a mismatch for them. Wow. Wow. In other words, their job doesn't necessarily utilize their skills, their abilities, doesn't utilize their calling. It doesn't match their gifting and their passions. And that, my friends, is very demotivating, even depressing, if you think about it. You watch people that are working in their area of calling, out of their gift set, they're motivated. They are fruitful, usually. Obstacles and challenges come along because that happens in every, every job, every situation. There's always obstacles. There are always challenges. But when they come along, the people that are working within their calling find amazing endurance and creativity to overcome those obstacles and to press onward. And what is more, in the midst of, of that job that they're doing, they want to grow and they want to get better and they want to learn. And there's joy in what they do, even in the midst of difficulties. You watch somebody that's working in areas that don't match their calling, and usually it's almost as if they're just kind of biding time, spinning their wheels, treading water. Oftentimes, these people are bored. Friends, that is not what you want to do with your life. You want to live out of your calling, and everybody has a calling. There are no uncalled human beings. When uh, my children were real young, we used to buy them gifts. And a lot of times on the outside of the boxes, uh, holding the gifts that we would buy them, it would say some assembly required. You've all bought these, right? No big deal. And I would dive in and I would assemble whatever it was, whatever the toy was, a bike, a wagon, a, a Lego pirate ship, you know, a rocket, whatever. And usually didn't even have to look at the directions. This wasn't too tough, uh, kind of simple. But occasionally I would have a few parts left over you know, kind of lying there on the floor as I would put this thing together. And I always felt bad for those parts. I always did. You know, they weren't really part of the team. They weren't fulfilling their destiny. They were just taking up space there on the floor, right? And I always figured somebody messed up at the factory. Uh, they gave me extra stuff, unnecessary stuff, spare parts. And, and here's the point. God does not make any spare parts. You see, you are not a spare part in God's universe. You're not a leftover meant to lie there on the floor. You have a purpose. You have a design. You have a specific calling. You were conceived by God, and you are essential to God's dream for the human community, the human race. You have been given certain gifts. You've been given certain talents. You have some longings and you have some desires inside of you. And that is part of your calling. To identify and develop your gifts, to use them to serve God, to partner with God in caring for creation is central to your purpose for being here. 
The Bible says that you were created in God's image and that you have a calling and that's why you work. That's why you do a job because you were called by God and you cannot fulfill your destiny apart from working out of your calling. Are you with me so far? Okay, we'll plow ahead. I hope you see that everything we have said up to this point fundamentally, fundamentally is at odds with conventional wisdom about work in our day. Everything we've said so far. You ask most people in our society, why do you work? What are they going to say? Get a paycheck. Make money. That's why I work. It's like the bumper sticker. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Have you seen that? Now, of course, a part of work is to be able to meet our needs, feed our family, feed ourselves, you know, meet our obligations and so. That, that's a real important thing. Nothing wrong with that. That's part of what work is about. But if your work is not meaningful to you, if it's not connected to the call that God has on your life, how God has made you, eventually you come to resent work. Might even come to hate it. Doesn't make any difference how much money you make. And yet in our culture, we tend to say that's the most important criteria for the job that you choose. How much money are you going to make? Money alone is not worth giving your life to. Uh, Any of you remember the song, Take This Job and Shove It? Anybody remember that song? Yeah, that was very popular for a while. Anybody remember the name of the guy who wrote the song? Johnny yep, Johnny Paycheck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See if anybody in the second service knows that, Margie. Yeah. <laughs> so if the main thing that you're working for is a paycheck, you're going to resent it someday. You're going to resent it. A paycheck is not worth giving your life to. It will never be big enough. That paycheck will never be big enough to make your life have significance. That's not the primary reason that God calls us to work. And I would just challenge you, uh, if the only reason that you're doing the job that you do is for money, is for a paycheck, I would challenge you to start looking and praying about finding another job, a job that suits, better suits your calling. A job that challenges you, a job that fits how you're made, it fits your gifting, and it gives you a sense of accomplishment, a sense of fulfillment. Some people think that only certain categories of folks have a calling. People like a pastor or a priest or a nun or a missionary. Friends, that is simply silly. That is not true. That is a lie from the devil. The Bible is very clear about this. Whether your job is in the church or in the marketplace or in the trades or in a home or in a place of learning, doesn't matter where it is. Uh, it, It doesn't matter at all. Every human being is called by God. You need to discover your calling. And then you need to take jobs that let you exercise that calling. Okay? I think somebody's being called. Um, uh, Some of you are retired. They're here with us this morning. And that means you no longer get up and go to the job that you used to do. But it doesn't mean you quit your calling. It doesn't mean you stop working, for goodness sake. Understand, you retire from a a job, but if you retire from contributing to God and to his work and to the kingdom and to uh, his work in the world, if you retire from growing and, and learning and stretching and you become just a consumer, just a spectator sitting on the sidelines, really all you've begun to do is die. You've begun a process of becoming less and less worthwhile in a sense. You don't want to go there. You don't want to live that way. You have a calling. 
And that means you should never stop doing meaningful work. You should never stop being fruitful. You should never stop working out of that calling, the person that God's made you to be. Your work matters to God. It should matter to you. It matters to the church. It matters to the kingdom. It matters to the world. And that's part of why you were put here on earth, to work out of your calling to be fruitful. Now, with the time that remains, um, I want to make a couple of more observations about this thing of calling. This message this morning is definitely an introduction to this subject. We're going to take up other aspects of it in the next few weeks. But here is something that uh, I would just, an observation I would make about calling. Uh, first, a calling is something you discover more than it is just something you choose. It's something you discover more than it's something you choose. Uh, sculptors who work with marble... Uh, will say it's very important at the outset of a project, if they're going to sculpt something, that they understand the raw material uh, that they have to work with. They say every piece of marble has certain potentials, and they study that piece of marble, and they try to discern those potentials. Uh, what is, uh, what's in this, this piece of marble? What's it good for? What's it not going to be good for? Every piece has its limitations, they say. And the sculptor needs to honor the raw material with which they're working or else they'll try to sculpt something out of it that's not, it's going to break, it's not going to function the way they need it to function. So the sculptor needs to honor that raw material. Well, God has given you and me certain raw materials, a certain DNA, certain predispositions, uh, certain temperament, certain gifts, certain passions. But all that stuff goes into discerning our calling, and we have, to, we have to honor the raw material. To discover your calling, you need to ask uh, all kinds of questions. And usually we're doing this when we're younger. You know, what sorts of things do I love doing? What kinds of things have I always loved doing? What things give me joy? What am I passionate about? What do other people tell me uh, I do really, really well? It's interesting up here on the stage... This morning, we had a young lady over here. This is Kira. She's playing the keyboards, and, and she's singing, and she's 16, and her sister Abby's over here, who's 13, and she's up here singing and, and so on. And I was talking to, I had a chance to talk to Kira, you know. I asked her how kind of she's sewn up. She says she's very right brain. She's also very good at math and stuff like that. But right now, at least, as she discerns her calling, she's not planning to become an electrical engineer. She would like to move into, you know, this area of singing and music and things of that nature. And, and who knows where God will lead her. But she's figuring out her calling, her DNA. Abby's a little younger. Um, and Abby's probably is, is thinking maybe drag racer, something like that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't even talk to Abby. She didn't say that. But anyway. But this is the process we all go through and should, especially as we're young and, we, you know, it, we're asking those questions. We're seeking answers. How am I put together? What is my calling? Some of you are really good at relational skills. You naturally bring people together. You build bridges. You help people see things from other perspectives. Who knows what you could be or are? You could be a counselor. You could be a human resources person. You could be a negotiator. There's all kinds of jobs you could do with that kind of a gifting mix or calling. Some of you are skilled academically. I don't, I don't think, is Xandra here this morning? I don't think she is. Uh, she might be here in the second service. Uh, Zandra Carroll, I mean, Zandra's heading off to New Zealand. This is a young woman who's uh, led a mission uh, at School of Mines, uh, on a, basically around Christian apologetics. Zandra's a very gifted thinker, very articulate young woman, and she's going off to New Zealand to do more study, uh, earn a PhD. That's just, that, that's part of her calling. She's working right in the sweet spot right now. Some of you are very skilled with your hands. You're able to figure stuff out and fix things. My brother-in-law, David Lemire, 
Um, he, when he was just a little kid, he would take toasters apart and fix them. You know, just he'd figure out what made them work and what wasn't working. He'd fix them. He would fix things like radios. I mean, who, who does that? Uh, he would, he, uh, when he was in high school, he was building trailers, really nice, really expensive trailers because he had learned, taught himself how to weld. As he was building trailers and selling them as he was in high school, uh, later on, he went to Letourneau College. He became an a, uh, airplane and helicopter mechanic and then an airplane and a helicopter pilot. Today, he flies uh, jets, corporate jets, for a company out of New York City. And he's the kind of guy that if the jet breaks down midair, he can fix it in midair. <laughs> absolutely the best kind of pilot you could ever have. Now, what I hate about David, you mind if I share this with you? So every time something breaks in our family, every time something goes wrong with the car, my wife always says, you ought to call David. If I hear that one more time. But that's, that's his gifting. That's his calling. That's not mine, but that is his. Some of you are real organized and administratively gifted. You just naturally tend to arrange stuff and organize things, and you even organize people and accomplish stuff. You plan, you strategize. Tim Rehnquist uh, kind of fits this role here, drives me crazy. He's always strategizing and thinking out ahead and, and putting things together. I mean, all of the details of just getting walls painted and stuff moving. I mean, he's run all that here. And that's a ton of work, but he, he really thrives doing it. It does an excellent, excellent job. Some of you are very persuasive. Your parents did not like that quality in you very much. Uh, but it was a natural skill. And they would say, you know, you ought to be a lawyer and things like that. Some of you have the natural gift of empathy. And when others are hurting, you're, you're just a great listener. And when it's appropriate, you give really wise advice. You're kind of a magnet for people that, that need that type of ministry in their life. Here's the point. Becoming aware of or discovering your gifting and your passions is a process of discovery. It is a process of discernment that, frankly, never really ends you can get old like me and still discover new stuff. I'm capable of doing some things better than I used to do them five years ago. Amen? Is that good? That's good. That's really a good piece of news. Um, understanding, though, uh, well, becoming aware of or discovering your gifting or your, or your passion is, is, again, a process of discovery. Letting others speak into your life around this is an important part also of discovering your calling. Understanding your calling helps you decide what jobs uh, you would like to do or what jobs you should take. Your jobs, understand, are simply a platform for you to do, uh, to work out of your calling. Your calling enables you to do many, many, many different kinds of jobs well. But if you divorce your calling, your gifting, your passions, your abilities, which are all intertwined, if you divorce your calling from your job, if there's no connection between the two, you likely uh, will be very miserable in the marketplace, whatever it is you do. Uh, you may even hate your job. It's not an accident that your spirit rejoices in certain activities and not in others. That's just how God made you. So um, what do you love to do? What is it that when you do it, it kind of brings life to you? You find yourself energized. What do people tell you? You're really good at that. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate that in you. Those are important questions for discovering your calling. 
The last thing you want to do is work that does not utilize your gifting or your calling, even if that work comes with all kinds of perks, lots of recognition, huge salary, lots of time off, whatever, but it doesn't energize you to do it, you will not be really fruitful, most likely. You will likely not be very satisfied. I think very often one of the primary things that gets in the way of people understanding and getting clear on their calling is ego. Ego gets in the way. For example, I know a man who does what he does because his dad wanted him to do it decades ago. Uh, He hates what he does. He's hated it all those years because he isn't really wired up to do it. Uh, but But he went into this. He felt he needed to do it to satisfy his dad's expectations. And now he's mostly disappointed with what he's given his life to, his energies and his efforts over the last several decades. I think of another man who for years was pushed And this is very interesting to watch. was pushed by his wife into a job he was terrible at. But it was a prestigious job. He hated the job. He wasn't very good at the job. What he wanted to do was actually he wanted to start and run his own window washing company. Not making this up. But his wife felt that 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 was just beneath him. You know, you have to do a better job than that. And for years he was miserable. He was unsuccessful until one day he just finally switched. Started at a window washing company. And he today runs a small window washing business. Uh, here in the Denver area, and he loves what he does, and he's good at it. He's good at it. The point is just this. Don't let ego take you down paths you really shouldn't go down. Discern your calling, right? Now, here's another issue. Getting clarity on your calling can be achieved through figuring out what your skills are, what you're passionate about, uh, what gives you life, what people say you're good at, and so, but also, just as importantly, by figuring out what your limitations are, what your limitations are, all of us have limitations. Getting clear on our limitations will help us discern our calling. But that can be tricky. We live in an era where society constantly touts the myth, the myth of the limitless self. You can do anything you want to do, honey. You can be anything you want to be. Friends, that is just plain stupid. That is really stupid. According to the Bible, you have a calling. And it has to do with what God has hardwired into you. Knowing your limits is just as important as knowing your skills and your passions for gaining clarity on your calling. When people try to pretend that there's something they're not, that's called not knowing your limits. You know, something that happens in the marketplace frequently is somebody will be in a certain position and they will excel at it. They will do a great job. And then they get promoted up and into a position they're not really gifted to do. And they don't even like doing those things. But it's more prestigious. Uh, It pays more money, and so they'll take the job anyway. Um, When you do that, usually you just die inside because you're living with a chronic sense of inadequacy. Now you're doing something you don't really love doing, doing something you're maybe not even sewn up to do, and that just sets you up for a lifetime of frustration. So be brutally honest in assessing yourself. What are your strengths, but what are your weaknesses? What are your passions, but what are your limitations? That will help you discover your calling. And again, calling is something you discover more than something you choose. Is that good so far? Okay, five more. No, another observation, one more. Exercising your calling in a particular job often involves pain, you know, as well as joy. In other words, just because you have a particular calling and you happen to be working out of that calling doesn't mean you will only have dream jobs. 
Uh, dream jobs promise things like wealth and power and status and security and honor and comfort and no pain, just the good life, right? If you work out of your calling. Well, that's not really very real in this fallen world. You go through the Bible and you look at the jobs God gave many of his followers, generally those jobs did not lead to wealth and power and status and security and comfort and no pain. Uh, God gifted and called a man named Moses. What job did he give Moses? Let me paraphrase the job for you. This is right out of Exodus 3, but it's a paraphrase. Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh. You know Pharaoh. He's the most powerful and ruthless man on earth. Tell him to let his primary slave labor force leave him smack dab in the middle of a building campaign. And oh yeah, tell him he needs to lavishly pay you all with jewels and gold and fine fabrics so you'll have what you need to worship your God, the God he doesn't even know, in the wilderness. <clears throat> and then Moses, I want you to convince a stubborn, stiff-necked, chicken-livered people to follow you into the desert where you'll await further instructions. That's your job for now, Moses. Remember Moses' response? Lord, send Aaron, my brother. That was, that was his response. Get somebody else to do this job. Uh, God has a, uh, goes to a man named Jonah. Jonah is called to be a prophet, to speak the word of God. And he's put together to be able to do that and to say some confrontational things. And uh, here's the job that God gives Jonah. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh which may be the most corrupt and violent city on the planet at this moment, and tell the people who are hostile to me to repent or die in the name of a God they do not believe in. So go, Jonah. Tell these hostile, corrupt, violent people, repent or die. And what was Jonah's response? Yeah, what's the first boat out of town? That's what, that was his response. He wasn't sure he wanted that job, even though he was suited for it. It was going to take all kinds of boldness and, and uh, things of that nature. God calls Jeremiah, another prophet, to preach to a people who would never listen to his message. They never did. It was so hard that Jeremiah, a grown man, a prophet, gifted to do this, cried so much that, Je uh, that Jeremiah becomes known as the weeping prophet. That was on his, on his uh, you know, card, business card. I, I'm the, I'm the weeping prophet. That's how hard, how painful his job was to preach the word of God and just see people not respond to it at all. Not ever. As a rule, when people are called by God in scripture, God, yes, he equips them. He gives them gifts and abilities to do what they need to do. He gives them passions. He gives them skills. That's their calling. And then he gives them a job. <laughs> And often, in spite of their calling and in spite of their equipping, people feel very inadequate for the job that they have been given. But understand this, friends, that's actually normal. <laughs> that can be good. Uh, because generally, God's jobs feel bigger than our abilities or our calling to handle them. But God uses that, understand. God always uses this dynamic to teach us a vitally important lesson. And the lesson's pretty simple, but it might be the biggest lesson we're supposed to learn in life, namely that we can trust God. He uses that to stretch us, to grow us when we enter into challenges. He uses that to bring us to the end of ourselves where we learn that he is sufficient. He's always sufficient, even though I am not. You see, this stuff of work and calling in this fallen world is always used in this manner to help us grow up into who 
we're supposed to be. Because life is a lot more about who you're supposed to be than what you're supposed to do. And you know, the joys of work, working out of our calling, uh, seeing fruit, being productive, that should produce thankfulness in us, gratitude when that happens in our lives. Thank you, God, for this job. Thank you for the way you put me together. But the challenges and the frustrations of work, hitting roadblocks, not meeting deadlines, dealing sometimes with evil situations and and even evil people, bad stuff, inefficiency, waste, fraud, all this is about us trusting God. It's about us representing God in the real world, not in some make-believe world. It's about us being different wherever it is we work, different because of Jesus being in our lives. It's that simple. You know, look at Jesus calling and look at Jesus gifting. Last time I checked, Jesus, Jesus was a pretty gifted guy. I mean, he was a teacher that people were in awe of. He was a cook. He could whip up a meal for 4,000, 5,000 people just like that. He was a weatherman. He could make the weather do exactly what he wanted it to do. He was a physician par excellence, you know. He was a theologian. He was a teacher. All these things. His calling was all about being God here on earth. That was his calling. I'm called to be God here on earth. He was very gifted. But his job, wow, was not a dream job. His job was to bring up there down here the kingdom of God, the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven. His job was to battle religiosity and false religion. His job was to battle and to defeat the evil one and to die for your sin and mine and to conquer death once and for all. Any of that sound fun? Any of that sound easy? Every step of the way, friends, do you know what Jesus did as he lived within his calling and as he performed this job? Do you know how he lived out of his calling and did the job that he'd been given to do? He did all of it by holding on to and trusting in the Father. He said one time, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. That's a remarkable statement. He is God on earth. He can do nothing by himself. He can only do, he can do only what he sees his father doing. Another time he said, so whatever I say is just what the father has told me to say. You you like this teaching? Guess where it's coming from? It's coming directly from the father, right? He said also, don't you believe that I am in the father and that the father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Wow. That is trust. That is complete dependence. That is complete surrender. That's how Jesus worked, no matter how difficult the job. He trusted in the Lord with all his heart and leaned not on his own understanding. That's what Jesus did. That's, uh, Jesus was the embodiment of living out of that principle. And friends, that's what we're supposed to do. Be like Jesus. We're supposed to discover our calling. How has God made us? What are our passions? What are our limitations? What are we made? What do we like? What do we not like? And then do our jobs out of our calling, all the while trusting in the Lord with all our hearts, not leaning on our own understanding and all our ways acknowledging him so he can make our paths straight and guide us. People sometimes get discouraged because they feel like God has not used them in the way they want him to. 
they haven't discovered the job they really want, the dream job, right? But here's the deal. You need to know that God can and will always use you even right where you are. And maybe you're in a job that's a mismatch for you and you need to start searching for a better fit, a different job. But meanwhile, as you go down that road, God wants to use you today and tomorrow wherever you are. The Apostle Paul, in the writing to the church at Colossae, uh, wrote some remarkable words. He, he wrote these words. He wrote to slaves. And by the way, that's a sucky job. Slave, slavery, bad job. He says this. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Do your job as a slave in reverence to the Lord says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. So there's another pay system going on here. There's reward and payment coming to us for what we do and how we work. That's pretty remarkable. It has nothing to do with your paycheck here. He says, it is the Lord Christ you are serving and uh, this is a very, very, very interesting perspective on work. Apparently, in some way, we don't fully understand. There's this like divine org chart, an organization chart in terms of who's in charge, who you work for and so. And then the top box is God's name. And then in the bottom box is your name. So that even if you work for a slave driver of a boss, you ever work for a boss like that? Tim? <laughs> you really just work for God. You really just work for God. That's the Christian's org chart right there. You represent God there in the midst of that difficult, maybe even dark place. That's who you really work for. And that's what makes even difficult jobs matter. It's who you work for. They count because really everything you do there, God sees, God appreciates. And you represent as you represent him there, God is even going to reward you. That's remarkable. Really, that's remarkable. Friends, your work matters to God because you matter to God. If you are discouraged in this area, maybe you feel like you're failing. Maybe you dislike your job. Maybe you don't even have a job right now. Keep this in mind. You do have a calling. You always have a calling. And God wants you to live out of that calling. One day you're going to stand before God and you're going to be rewarded for everything you've ever done, every job you've ever performed, easy or difficult, fulfilling or frustrating, every time and in every way you represented the Father there, you were doing exactly what you were supposed to do. That's a noble thing. Now we got a lot more to say on this subject of jobs and calling and, and work and we'll be doing that in the next few weeks, but I hope this kickstarts us. Okay? Anybody going to come back to hear any of the rest of this series or have you had enough? Yeah, okay. Well, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have made us to be like you. And we thank you uh, that work is meaningful and matters. And we thank you that we can work out of a calling, a way that you have sown us together, put us together. And Father, we... Um, we pray that this week and in the weeks to come, we would be listening to you, hearing from you, and following you and obeying you when it comes to working out of our calling, when it comes to rightly understanding the work that we do, the jobs that we have, no matter where they are, in the home, in the marketplace, wherever that is. 
God, let us do what we do in a way that gives honor and glory to you, just the way Jesus did, Lord, in the jobs that you gave him. In all of this, we pray in his name. Amen.